0: Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined by Amanda Loudon today. Hello, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Good, good. So uh, so your daughter decided to abscond with your microphone today? Of course she
1: did. Oh. <laughs> I just realized bad, bad timing. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think she's using it for some sort of debate in one of her classes today so it was nice nice
0: of her <laughs> oh my gosh and then are there like cockatoos or something in the background like that sounds like
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're outdoor birds uh i think they're blue days um because <laughs> it's lovely here so maybe i could shut the window and make that
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny it always reminds me of uh we had this guest katie arnold on the podcast who is a contributor for Tales from Another Mother Runner. And honestly, it was like she was snow white with birds twittering around her head. It was so (laughs) funny. I
1: think the blue jay fighting just ended, so maybe we'll have peace. Oh, good,
0: good, good, good. Good. So uh, what you working on these days? What articles?
1: Um, I have a cool one coming out in a couple of days for Outside about um, a runner named Maureen Wilton Mancuso. She's Canadian, and she's this, just little known crazy story. Um, back when Catherine Switzer ran Boston for the first time, two weeks later, a 13 year old girl up in Canada jumped into a marathon and set a world record. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then she, and then disappeared into obscurity essentially. So, um, and Catherine as a footnote. Catherine actually went up and ran this race with her. I mean, not side by side with her, but as a second female in the race, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I'm telling Maureen's story and um I do involve some some quotes from Catherine on it and um whatnot. So it's just a it's a really neat, you know, little known story. And and it, as it turns out, uh Kit Fox, who writes for Runners World, is actually writing an entire book about oh. Maureen and it'll be coming out in about a year. So Oh yeah. Very
0: cool. Very cool. Yeah. So so uh well make sure you share that with me on Twitter and I'll tweet it out and people should be following yeah. Tell people your Twitter handle so they can follow you directly.
1: Um I am Miss Zippy One. Yes. Very easy to remember. Yes. Yes,
0: yes. Um so well, good deal. Well, I um I had a lovely fill of or maybe not at my fill, but I got a lot of uh dance performances last weekend. Not not performing in them. I know that's what your first thought was, Amanda. Uh- it really was, but-, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's Children instead, <laughs> It was, it was. So, so actually the first night is, uh, I took John to see uh, a group called the Jefferson dancers. They're part of Jefferson high school here and they are, they travel in Europe to perform. I mean, they are high caliber, high level dance group. Um, that's affiliated with a high school and they perform typically at least once a year at a downtown theater. And, um, I just love seeing them. And so John and I went and saw that and, um, oh my gosh, just like, while I was watching it, I thought this is what sheer unbridled joy and exuberance looks like. Oh, so cool. Like it was, it was, uh, there was one number they do, they, they, their signature thing is, um, they bring out, um, African drummers and, um, or do I say, people who are playing African drums, and uh, and so they just do this really long, extended the um, dance number to the African drums, and um, I mean, I thought, oh, like that's what ecstasy looks like. That it just, it was amazing. It was amazing to be a witness and to feel it in the as an audience member. It was amazing. So then the next two nights, I got to go see my my little man John doing his thing with um, Da Vinci, their spring dance performance. And so they're middle schoolers, so they're kids anywhere in age from, I guess the youngest would be 11 up to 14, and oh my gosh, so, you know, it's an art school, so, um, but a lot of the kids have never had dance before, and the caliber of dance is just amazing, and just varied, there's tap, modern, jazz, ballet, I don't even know what to call some of the things. They did this really um, very profoundly moving um, number. And it was a first year dance students um, to Queen's song Under Pressure. And so so they brought out all these desks. And so, um, and the kids were in um, school uniforms, even though they don't wear school uniforms, but they really want to impress upon you that it was school. And, um, and so then the kids were hiding under their desk. And you start to realize that it's not just about pressure, like homework and, parents demands but also about gun violence and um oh it was it was very moving and um and the whole thing the whole theme of it was resistance and resilience that was the theme of all the of the entire show so Yeah. yeah so it was and john had two um little duets with um uh, another student and uh it was it was just really great and my uh two good friends from San Francisco came up specifically to see him perform and so uh oh, nice. were, yeah it was really nice. It was and Molly who's um uh, I guess all three of her daughters at one point went to Da Vinci. The oldest one only went there for a year, but the other two um, were um, did all three years, and they were in the highest level of dance there at Da Vinci because they're, uh, they're really talented dancers. And so Molly came along, and um, again, just the innocence and the joy and the just delight and I don't know. It, it just, it, it gives you all the feels. Oh, so. yeah,
1: yeah, And I find, I don't know about you, but I am always blown away at these school performances just at the talent level. I, I just, I don't know. I don't remember it being that way when I was a kid, but, mm-hmm. but I, it just, I'm always blown away. These, these kids are amazing. So, mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Amanda, there's, there's no easy way to make a transition to our topic from this um, sheer unbridled enthusiasm and joy of, of, kids' performances to... Um, our topic today is um, something that we all experience in various points in our lives, lives, um, and it's grief. And um, we're going to speak to four women about the losses they've experienced and how running helped them work through their flood of emotions and heal. And uh, stay tuned for this powerful topic. We'll be back after a quick break. Before we bring on our guests, um, Amanda, I'm hoping that you and I can kind of share some of our own recent experiences with grief and loss. And... Um, you had a very tough uh, 2017, Amanda.
1: Uh oh, for sure. I um, ended the year uh, by, by, you know, losing my dad um, January 2nd of 2017, and then losing my mom on Christmas of 2017. Oh my gosh. So,
0: yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're, um, I mean, had both of them been in ill health leading up to it? Or? kind of? Um,
1: I would say, you know, that the, the their final years um really you could sum it up as my my dad um well my dad had dementia so he was you know suffering on on the mental end of things whereas my mom was more physically ill out of right. the two of them and they were highly codependent and so once my dad went um you know I, it's probably not surprising that my mom went so soon thereafter um and i think you know her own grief was probably the nail in her coffin, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of led her, her ultimate physical demise. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So, and how did, how do you, do you feel that running and, and, um, exercising helped you at all through that process of grief?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, it was so essential. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes it, it feels a little bit selfish to say this, but also any runner is going to understand it. I mean, on the days of both of their funerals, you know, I got up and ran, Uh um, early in the morning. It was just something I had to do to get through the day. Uh Um, you know, I still, um, I have this weird connection to my dad with, I I can remember the day after he passed, I went out for a run early morning and the sun came up and it was just this brilliant, brilliant sky. And, Uh um, and I felt like it was my dad kind of reaching out to me and I still, you know, when I'm out running, and I'm getting choked up, but um, yeah, still about running, and I see a sunrise like that. You know, I feel a connection to my dad. Um, mm-hmm. It just so yeah, it's it's powerful, and it's I can't imagine not having that method for processing the grief. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and and I think I think um exercising opens you up to feeling those things you know that i don't know maybe if you were driving on a road trip or something and you caught the sunrise i, I wonder whether it would have the same impact agree at, yeah agree yeah,
1: and yeah there's, there's definitely something about being out there and and i think sometimes being out there by yourself even mm-hmm. um and, and being able to just focus and and you know center and notice
0: these things these messages that are being sent to you i guess mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so and and um I mean, I, you know, we've talked about before. I mean, my parents are old and I know that, um, that, that the situation that you had last year is very, you know, going to be in my future, um, any day now. So, um, so I, 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 even though I was not good about communicating to you, I was thinking about you a lot, Amanda. So, um, so yeah, so I had, so I, um, am fortunate to still have both my parents with me, but, um, I had a loss, um, about, uh, three months ago i guess now um my good friend and i talked about it once on the podcast um once or twice my good friend andrew tillen who was a um, longtime contributor for outside magazine um oh. yeah he was um killed while he was on the side of the road during a bike ride he was changing a flat tire and um so i had known andrew for several decades we worked together a long time ago and just had stayed in really good touch and um uh, thankfully the another mother runner business brought me to texas several times where he um ended up living in austin and so, got to see him there for work, and um, so I was pleased. I got to see him along. We talked on the phone. He and I had kind of parallel work experience. He actually, he and a business partner um, started this thing called the Masters Athlete, and it's sort. And his business partner is this guy Bob, and he and Bob were. I saw. You know, there are a lot of parallels between him and d- those two, and Dimity and me. And um, you know, the Masters Athlete is kind of like another mother runner, but for um, Masters Athletes, people over forty of both men and women. And, um, so we talked a lot about work stuff too in the past couple of years. And so Andrew is a huge cyclist, just, just very, very passionate cyclist. And so, um, I really feel very close to, I've been doing a lot of cycle bar lately and, um, talking about kind of when all the distractions and, and you're sweating, you can kind of get more in tune to that. And I just feel so close to Andrew during cycle bar classes and, um, like when I'm trying to push really hard, I envision his face and I, you know, like a couple of times been like, okay, Andrew, help me out on this, you know, this, this quote yeah. unquote, hill, you know, and, yeah. um, and, uh, cycle bar, like a lot of, um, uh, cycling classes has a lot of times will have you do kind of focus on your intentions and, um, or do a, you know, a whole song where you don't look at the monitor and there's really no cueing or anything like that. And, oh my gosh, I just always picture Andrew's face and really kind of, try to reach out and experience him in that moment. So um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so this all brings yeah. up that I think this is gonna be kind of a tough episode. So we have a, a box right. of tissues handy. And right. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I
1: mean, And I think, you know, one of one of my lessons, um, th- through grief, and, and something that I think people who haven't been through it don't understand yet is that I think everyone thinks that you know, getting through the funeral and that kind of thing is the hard part. And it's just not, it, it follows you and it sneaks up on you and it's a long process. And I think, um, mm-hmm. we all need to, to be able to give ourselves the grace to feel it and process it and reach out when we need to and do what we need to do and keep doing, you know, to, to stay, um, to, to work through it, I guess. So, yeah.
0: Yes. So, um, well, let's bring on our first guest, who is Marge Shoup, a longtime listener of the podcast, who is striving to be a mother runner in the most literal sense of those words. Uh, sadly, she's had two miscarriages. Uh, welcome to the pod, Marge. Thank you. And I just also learned yesterday, you live very close to here. I should have had you in studio.
2: I do. I didn't want to be presumptuous and be like,
1: hey, invite me over. Um, no, I but...
0: wish you. I wish you had. I love having guests in studio. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so Marge,
2: um, tell us a little bit about your running background. So I've been running since I think 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, I always wanted to be a runner. I tried to do cross country in high school. I think that was mostly to chase boys around. Um, (laughs) Literally. Uh Yeah. In college, you know, we'd run to Starbucks and that was like the extent of our running, but (laughs) something just kind of clicked with me in 2015. And I kind of set myself a goal. I wanted to run a race every month. Um, so I kind wow. of culminated that year in running the Portland Marathon. Uh, and then I just haven't stopped running since. So I Galloway method my, methoded my way through that marathon. Um, and now I've transitioned to mostly running. So I do a handful of half marathons every year, a lot of 5K and 10Ks. Um, and it's just it, something stuck with me in 2015. So it's I've been running ever since.
0: Wait, so you went You went from not being a runner to running a marathon 10 months later?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd always kind of tried to run. I'd go out and run two or three miles, um, mm-hmm. but I just kept kind of gaining distance throughout that year, and I hit some half marathon goals, and I had another friend who had a bucket list item to run a marathon, so we both signed up for Portland. Um, we did a marathon training group through a running uh, mm-hmm. running store locally, and,
0: yep. you know, just kind of went for it. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right. So, so now for the tough question. Um, so please share with us about your miscarriages.
2: So about, um, Actually, right after I completed that Portland Marathon, my husband and I kind of said, you know, now's the time. Let's start trying to get pregnant. Um, And we didn't get pregnant. We didn't get pregnant. So about a year and a half later, uh, March 2017, we finally got that positive pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. We were so excited. Um, About a week and a half later, um, I ended up miscarrying that pregnancy naturally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were... You don't expect that out of your first pregnancy. So we were shocked. But then you go and talk to the doctors and they try and reassure you that it's super common. Um, You know, the doctor actually told me in that appointment, I wouldn't be surprised if you were back here within four months with another pregnancy. Mm. Um, So, you know, we tried to still... Remain hopeful, I guess. And the doctor was right. Two months later, I was pregnant again. And, you know, I was trying to be cautiously optimistic after our first experience. Um, But you pass that point of the first miscarriage and you start to get a little more hopeful. And as the days go by, you're kind of getting more enthusiastic and um, kind of gaining that hope. Um, So we went to our first, what was supposed to be our first ultrasound appointment. And, you know, the doctor gets the Doppler out and is looking for the heartbeat and says, you know, something doesn't look right. Mm. Um, And, you know, we both allowed ourselves to kind of start to get excited. We were going to see our baby for the first time. Um, So that was really, really hard. Uh, It hit me the the first time it's it's like the doctors were so positive about it that um, I hadn't allowed myself to get super upset But that second time was really, really hard. Um, And it just – it took a lot out of me. And I feel like I just kind of fell apart. Um, I got really depressed. You know, I was – I had some kind of residual health issues that came from four to six months of these up and down pregnancy hormones. And Mm -hmm. it's – you know, it was – Last July, when we had our second miscarriage, and it just kind of steamrolled over my summer. I feel like,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. yeah, um, Marge. I, 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 well, first I want to give you a big hug, but I, I want to share with you also that I, you know, I went through um, similar situation. I actually, I went through four miscarriages, um, and to give you hope, I have two teenagers now. So, um, but I know I can, I can absolutely relate to the story and, and I can relate, um, you know, in, in something that you said that, that it's very isolating. Um, you'd written about that and, um, how, how did running kind of help you feel maybe more connected or less isolated or even just help you process all of this? So
2: I think, um, you know, running's, for me, it became a more solo activity last year. Beforehand, I'd always been with a group. I hated running alone. Um, but last year, it served as a really good way to kind of process things by myself. Um, I I talked about that isolation. I mean, both of our losses were within the first trimester, so not a lot of people knew we were pregnant. Yeah. And it's really hard to, to talk about losing a pregnancy when no one knew that you were pregnant in the first place. Um, so I would just... You know, I'd try and go out and just kind of lose myself on the run for an hour or so. Um, One of the main things I think it helped me to do was just get back in touch with my body. I think a lot of times, you know, you have these miscarriages and it's like you're you feel like your body failed you um, Mm -hmm. with this one thing that it's supposed to do naturally, and it really it showed me that, you know, my body is not this complete failure. Um, I mentioned, like, I had some of these residual health problems. And I was honestly really nervous about getting back into running, just because I had these kind of residual issues. And, you know, my husband was like, you're not going far from home. If you need me to come pick you up because you're not feeling well, I can come pick you up. Just get out there because you know, you're going to feel better when you come back. Um, And that really proved to be true. So I think that was the main thing uh, that really, it just helped me kind of realize that my body is not a failure, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. He understood that and, and supported you in that way.
2: Yeah. Well, and he knows I'm always, I mean, even if I complain about getting out there, I'm going to feel better on the flip side when I come back. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I might've grumbled about it, but he was right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so you wrote in an email to me that, uh, you have spent much of the last 12 months trying to get quote comfortable with being uncomfortable in order to approach future pregnancies with a healthy outlook and how this mantra flows seamlessly into running as well. So talk to us about that.
2: Um, so the whole comfortable with being uncomfortable thing, um, one of the things that my therapist had told me to do, because um, I do, I advocate therapy for everyone, but it was really helpful to me after these losses. She had me start listening to these five minute like YouTube meditations, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of those meditations were focused on um I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. It's like once I moved past some of the depression, I moved into this period of just extreme anxiety. So a lot of these little meditations were for calming you down. And a lot of them involve, you know, recognize if you're feeling anxious, recognize that about your body and just keep moving, like let it go. Um, And that was a good thing for me for running. So I was listening to these meditations at night. And then I noticed just kind of naturally – it flowed into my running. I feel like I'd always been kind of a timid runner. As soon oh. as I started getting uncomfortable, like oh my stomach hurts or my legs feel really heavy, I'd I'd usually just quit, honestly. I'd be like, "Oh, well, guess I'm done for the day." Oh. Um, and it's like something with those meditations really resonated with me. So I'd start recognizing these feelings like, oh, this run feels really challenging, but I can keep going. Um, And so it's like recognizing like you're uncomfortable, but that's okay. Uh Uh, And I think that's really, I'm hoping in, you know, God willing, like a future pregnancy, something that I can keep with me because I'm never... I don't think I'm ever going to be able to feel comfortable being pregnant. Now I'm never going to have that like, oh, I'm so excited feeling. I kind of lost that after these miscarriages. But I'm going to be uncomfortable, and that's okay. You know, I can still I can still push through. I can recognize that I'm uncomfortable um, and just keep just keep moving through that. You know, it's not a game ender. Um, and now, I mean, with the running, I feel like. I'm trying to think of a good adjective for it. It's I just feel a lot more free when I run. Um, It's I've improved. I've definitely improved as a runner in the last year. I mean, I've PR'd in the 5K, the 10K and the half marathon since all of this happened. And so I just it's I don't know. It's I can never say like, oh, I'm so thankful that this happened. But I think it did help me after a long time and a lot of healing kind of shift my mindset um, to this more free you know comfortable with the uncomfortable that's that's the best way I can put it I guess
1: that's fantastic um, and, and you kind of answered my next question for you which was um, you know moving forward um, you know what you're how you're approaching racing and running with you know with the fact that you know you, you're probably going to be trying to get pregnant again and you um, how, how are you making that all work and, and, you know, and feeling uncomfortable with, again, that that's kind of, you know, an uncomfortable space um, trying to figure out how it all fits together?
2: I think um, I think anyone that's trying to get pregnant kind of knows, um, you know, you start to get into this weird headspace where you're basically you feel like you're planning your life around it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing I haven't done is sign up for another marathon because I don't want to make that commitment not knowing you know, am I going to be pregnant in six months In nine months? Um, But in the meantime, I'm signing up for little races and I'm just, I'm just running harder than I was before. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily like going for PRs, but I'm just looking at, um, I guess I can use the, the 5k I did in March as an example. Uh, I wanted to PR, but I wasn't necessarily training for one. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I felt uncomfortable most of the race because it was a 5k and I went out fast and, you know, the last mile I was really starting to drag and I just kind of pushed through it, um, until I ended up having like a two minute PR. And so I think I've now I feel like I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but no, it's, no. A, it's, I'm just doing what I can in the time that I have. So, you know, in this moment, I feel okay. I can run, I'm going to run, Um, and I'm just trying to keep that mindset until I get to a point where, you know, maybe I'm pregnant and I can't run as fast um, Mm -hmm. or as hard, or I can't train for that PR, and it's more about just staying healthy, Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm just, I'm doing what I can when I can, and trying to keep that mindset going forward. Uh uh That's great.
1: great. Sounds very healthy to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so as you've mentioned, uh, and and we all know, uh, miscarriages are incredibly common. So, what advice can you share with women who find themselves in your shoes?
2: I think, and I'm I'm better at saying this than doing this, but I'm hoping that this experience podcasting with you guys helps um you know don't be afraid to talk to people there's so many of us who have had miscarriages Mm -hmm. that you're going to find someone that resonates with your story and there's other people that are probably feeling exactly what you're feeling Um, especially if you're feeling alone or feeling like you can't talk to someone you know you're um, your cube mate down the hall at the office might be feeling the exact same thing. And I'm not saying go and, you know, spout your story to everyone, you know, use your best judgment, but don't be afraid to share what's happened with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me is like, I've learned, you know, through telling people, um, that I'm close to that, you know, they've either had a miscarriage or they know someone who has, um, And so it's, it's so common, but the way that we don't talk about it can be so isolating. Mm -hmm. So just don't be afraid to share your story with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then don't be afraid to be open with your doctors. You know, my doctors have been all super helpful and, you know, a lot of times you'll have to push for answers on your own and that's okay. You know, if that's a priority for you, make, make the time to do it. Mm -hmm.
0: And, and I don't know if you want to emphasize again that, um, how helpful, um, talk therapy has been for you.
2: Absolutely. Um, I found a therapist who specialized in, in women's issues and maternal issues yeah. and she's been amazing.
0: So I can't, I cannot recommend therapy enough. Oh, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad you found someone who specializes in that and who can really hear what you're saying. That's wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing with us, Marge. And, and I hope our paths cross here in Portland.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much.
0: Our next guest is Patty Cruz, a mother runner of two sons who has been through more than her fair share of grief. Patty lost her dad quickly to cancer, then her mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. She also lived through the loss of a baby within all that grief. Patty lives in Philadelphia and writes about her life on a blog called tryingforjoy.com. We appreciate you joining us, Patty.
3: Sure. Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, let's start with a simple question. How old are your two sons?
3: Uh, My oldest is five, and he would like to think that he is the fastest runner ever. Um, (laughs)
1: And my youngest is one and a half.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice.
1: And then the other part of the equation, tell us a little bit about your running history.
3: Sure. So I started running um, when I was a teenager with my dad, uh, my dad was just sort of always someone who liked to run and he would run fun runs. And I have this vague memory of him running with us, pulling us in a red wagon. <laughs> this was like
1: before wow. running
3: strollers. So he pulled my sister and I in a like red radio flyer wagon on a. Fu- uh, 5K.
0: Oh, and, and, yeah, and of hardcore. course, there were probably probably no bike helmets, so at any moment you were going no, flying off no. the back.
3: <laughs> there's <laughs> not. No, there's no bike helmets. <laughs> yeah. oh, I remember loving it, though. Oh, of course. Of course. But but
0: now we all shudder with, with terror yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Well, that's a good memory. That's a good memory. Mm-hmm. So um, so now for the tough stuff. Your family life was thrown upside down. So talk uh, Talk mm-hmm. us through those events and, and uh, where your mom's health is today.
3: Sure. So my husband always joked that our family was so boring and that we were like this white picket fence family. Um, and then uh, things kind of changed for us maybe about six years ago. Um, he and I had been trying to get pregnant um, and we had a miscarriage. Um, and then maybe about six months after that, we actually lost our son and um, he was born too early around 22 weeks um and so you know I really left that and really turned to running as a way to feel strong again um, and to trust my body that I could do something and start it and finish it um, and the runs were short and there was a lot of crying during them um, but it really brought me back to to feeling good in my body again, which I didn't after, after losing our son. Um, and running has sort of stayed, a, a pretty consistent coping skill. It's never been something where I'm necessarily trying to get f- faster or run more races. For me, it's really been just, um, a consistent way to, to feel good and, and better and, and really strong in myself.
0: That's awesome. yeah. yeah. So so and and then uh, when did you lose your father, and when was your mom diagnosed? Um,
1: yeah.
3: So we, I feel like I'm the ultimate sandwich generation. Um, mm-hmm. I had a one year old, and I just have this very clear memory of uh, I nursed my one year old, and I just had this very clear memory of um, pumping for him in the oncology unit when oh I was waiting goodness. for my dad to get his infusion treatment, mm-hmm. wow. and I just really felt like that picture of that moment sort of captured what was happening in my life during those couple of years. Um, My dad had multiple myeloma and he um, was the best dad in the world. And he passed away in 2014 um, from multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, you know, it really was sort of, I don't want to use the word balance because there was definitely no balance more like a seesaw of like, I'm paying attention to this one thing. So this other thing is not being taken care of, Um, (laughs) you know, and so I needed to drive my father to go get like an experimental treatment for his cancer. And then I missed my son's first birthday in doing that, you know, so there was always this sort of shift back and forth of what thing we were working on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my mom got diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's, unfortunately, about two months after my dad passed away. Oh, my goodness. Um, Wow. So it was a, it was a bit of a shock Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's something, and it's been, you know, about four years, um, since that. And my mom is, um, still with us physically, but in many ways is not with us mentally.
0: Mm -hmm. How old, how old was she
3: when she was? My mom was 68 when she was Mm -hmm. diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, in addition to it being a child, it just really, I knew that someday I might take care of my parents, but I didn't think it would be in my thirties right, um, right? with little
1: kids. Um, so Patty, does your mom live with you or um, how is that working out? Sure. She, we are so lucky to
3: have, um, you know, my father worked for the state for 35 years. And so we are lucky that we have the financial means that he doesn't live with me mm-hmm. um, and just because I can't imagine working and taking care of my children and my mom, I think one of those would have to give, uh-huh. um, most likely working. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, so we're lucky she lives actually a 10 minute walk from my house. Oh, that's, um, that's and she great. has around the clock care. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. That, that's great. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you, like you've talked about, you know, you you've, been on this kind of seesaw between, you know, grieving, caretaking, um, you know, both are incredibly trying. So if, if you could point to one or the other, which do you think takes more out of you? Mm, that's a really
3: good question. I think, I think I'm not a great parent when I don't take care of myself. Um, and I have to, you know, we really, my husband and I both talk about the need to be vigilant about that. Um, by that, I mean like something every day to really take care of ourselves. Um, so we've created, you know, more of a network around us. We intentionally try to spend time with our neighbors and family and friends. So we feel like we have this community built around us. Um, because I really feel like, you know, my son is five now, and there are times where I leave visiting my mom and my son will say, mama, you have worried face on, um, you know, and it's pretty insightful. He's a pretty smart little boy, but, um, it's pretty insightful, but it's also a reminder to me that he can see me, you know, and he can see me when I'm stressed and he can pick those things up. So it's been a good reminder to me to also, to check some of those things and recognize when I do have worried face on, um, and, and also to talk to him and tell him, you know, yeah, mama's really worried because grandma seems really sick today. Uh, and grandma's having a hard time and I love grandma. And that, and that makes me sad and worried, um, and not being afraid to say that or to get upset in front of him. I think that's been the thing that's helped me to do both things at the same time. Um, And my kids are actually wonderful with my mom because what they want is immediate attention for a toy or something they can do. And she doesn't have to remember anything to do that. She can give them that immediate connection that they're looking for or sometimes they'll find something really funny and she's still with it enough to also find that thing funny. Um, (laughs) Which is really nice, sometimes inappropriate, but really nice.
1: Right, right. Okay. um, Having lost a parent to dementia, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, you know, I think if
3: you really feel the weight of how bad Alzheimer's is all the time, it's terrible. Um, Yeah. You know, so we have to laugh at some of these things and say like, You know, they're ridiculous, but they might be funny also a little bit. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Patty, you wrote a beautiful blog post about why you cry when you run, um, an action I suspect so many listeners can relate to. And I want to read an excerpt from that post, and it's a little bit long, so um, everybody hang with me. At some point in every run, the constant thoughts stop, and I have a few moments of mental stillness. It happens at yoga, too. It usually takes me the whole class to get there. And then, in that still mental moment, feet pounding the pavement, I let myself feel what it is to grieve for something lost. I can feel the weight of forever. And the tears I thought were packed away are right back, hot and burning and awesome. I am not afraid of this. I hope for it. So, um, first of all, that's very powerful. So, um, I... uh, kudos on your, on your writing skill, being able to sum up those feelings and, and emotions that are, as they're happening. So um, my question for you is why do you hope for it?
3: Oh, for me, it feels like such a release. Um, I feel like I, I work outside of the home um, and spend a lot of times with my kids. And there's a lot of time during my regular life where I don't get to release what's bothering me or what I'm holding in Um, and a lot of times just because I'm busy and I don't have maybe the luxury of 20 minutes to sit down and get upset um, or be by myself um but when I'm running you know I just go out the door and say I'm going for a run and that time period is mine um and most of the time I do go for a run but you know sometimes I might just walk around the block or do what makes sense to me. And I think to have that really protected time to, to let some of that sadness and grief out, um, is a luxury to me. Um, you know, and just to really feel like for a couple minutes, I'm just going to think about me and how it's impacting me. Um, because I think it's too easy to sort of hold it all in, um, and say, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and I think that's probably my tendency. Um, in my family growing up, we didn't talk a lot about feelings, which I didn't really realize was an unusual thing until I met other families. But, um, you know, that's just not what we did. We just sort of handled it and moved on. Um, and so it's nice to have that space. Um, and I don't know if there's like a, chemical brain thing happening where it just feels more free but i really just feel like it's my own time um to to let some of that out yeah
1: and you also mentioned that you tried meditation yeah so it's really hard talk about that a little bit how did it meditate i found it so hard um so i started doing
3: you know like a meditation app um that i was trying to do a whole giant three minutes of meditation which <laughs> sounds really embarrassingly short, but, um, I found it very difficult to really sit still and do nothing else besides that. Um, you know, and I think that's probably why it takes me the whole yoga class to get to that point. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, now I exhausted my body and my mind can then let go. Um, And for the meditation, it's still a challenge. I still do it. Um, I'm up to four minutes sometimes. (laughs) So that's pretty good. Um, But uh, it's definitely still a challenge for me to do. Um, And I think sometimes um, I wrote about it on another blog that um, a friend of mine and I, we talk about grief as like a burrito. We call it this burrito theory that you wrap it all up really tight inside the burrito and if you open the burrito it's gonna be a huge mess in a minute you have to like keep it all rolled up or be Uh otherwise it's gonna explode everywhere Uh um and you know most days i don't feel that heavy of the grief right now um Mm But I did. And I remember that for a long time, feeling like if someone just like pokes me, this burrito thing is going to explode <laughs> full of all this grief that's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and a great analogy. I- <laughs> Thanks. It's kind of graphic, but um I'm accurate. <laughs> yeah, I think the meditation keeps some of that at bay. So it lets me calm um that part of me. And I think, you know, my mom doesn't live with me, but I'm definitely still a caretaker for her. Um you know I run her finances and take care of all the logistical pieces of her care. And then um with my siblings we we handle an emotional sign of taking care of mom. Um, and I think that because of that, it contributes daily to a little bit of anxiety in our lives, um, a little bit of extra worry. Um, so we have to take care of care of ourselves and care of that anxiety. Otherwise, it just grows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: yeah. So, so what advice uh, do you give for uh, mother runners who are either grieving or caring for a parent with dementia? or like mm-hmm. in your ca- case, both. So, um,
3: yeah, I think it, for parents that are also taking care of their parents, I think what's been so helpful for me, um, is to be honest with my kids. Um, yeah. cause I did try hiding it from them. Um, yeah. It just didn't work. Um, and you know, my, my little guy is kind of too, who's too young to really notice what's going on. Um, but even my one and a half year old, if I'm upset or crying, will come over and just sit in my lap
0: um, mm-hmm. and
3: just be quiet with me. Um, so I think that'd be my first piece of advice. And, and I think for other runners that are grieving the loss of a parent, um, just to really not be afraid to talk about that person. Um, mm-hmm. It's been mm-hmm. so helpful to me to be able to tell stories of my dad to my son. Mm -hmm. Um, and say, oh, grandpa would have loved, you know, that you like battleships. Grandpa loved battleships, you know, Mm -hmm. just random things that make Mm -hmm. them see this person that he really didn't know very well as a real person and as someone who's not just like someone in a picture. But, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that my dad met my older son. So I can say, oh, buddy, he, you know, he loved you so much, he would hold you and he thought it was so funny that he changed your diaper. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm grasping cause he was only one, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, all those things create a memory of this person for him. Um, yeah. and I think my other piece of advice would be to get help however you can, if you can get paid help. Great. If you don't have the resources, um, you know, there are a number on the blog. We have a number of resources um, that I can share also, um, with you all, but, I think there are even free resources. There are support groups. The Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. association has a number of free support groups. And I think that just getting help and being in space with someone else who is going through something similar, not the same, but something similar has been invaluable to me. Um, it's why I write too.
0: Uh uh Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Patty. This is, this has been really wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're joined now by Susan Hurd, a mother runner and triathlete in Easton, Pennsylvania. Susan has a daughter, Daisy, who's 15, and today would have been the 18th birthday of her son, David, who died at age 10 from neuroblastoma. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. Yeah. So when you and I set up this interview, you told me that it would have been David's 18th birthday. So happy birthday, David. Um, I suspect that I know I felt it was kismet that we were recording on today out of all days. It so, did feel
4: very bizarre and kind of cool. So, thank yeah, you. Yeah,
0: oh, very, cool. very, very, very cool. So, um, so how are you and your husband and Daisy commemorating this milestone?
4: So today is an interesting day. His birthday um, always was a special one, but I decided to go. He had eight healthy birthdays, and he's been gone for eight birthdays. So mm-hmm. this morning I ran eight miles. Um, oh,
0: that's awesome!
4: I would have run sixteen, but I have a marathon in ten days, so yes. decided. My coach decided that would be a very bad idea, yeah. um, so kept it brief. And then I went and ate waffles because that was his favorite breakfast food. Um, oh, nice! You know, and we're we're just kind of working and getting through the day. And tonight we'll have cake and his favorite meal for dinner, um, oh. and release some balloons, and and then that'll be it. Oh,
0: that's fantastic!
1: Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So David passed in 2011, and then you found your way to running in 2015. Um, tell us a little bit about
4: about how you came to running. Sure. Um, so it's an interesting thing. In, in 2011, after he died, um, you know, it was obviously incredibly challenging. It was hard to figure out how to move forward. Um There was just a lot of, I was very angry because I felt like we'd done everything right and we still came out on the losing end of the cancer journey. Um, And I kind of just let myself go. I mean, I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. I was sitting around moping, really just kind of falling apart. And David's motto was embrace life. And I kept telling people we should embrace life and we should do all these things. But really looking back on that period of time now, I realized that um, I wasn't, I wasn't embracing life. I didn't know how to get moving forward. And in January of 2015, I decided to join the gym again and started going to work out. And I did the elliptical for all of like 10 minutes and was like, oh, my God, this is so hard. (laughs) Um, So I was kind of struggling along in the gym, but feeling committed to going and started to lose some weight um, and kind of was picking up some better habits and then in October of 2015, a cousin of ours decided to run 100 miles from his house in New Jersey and finish with the Runner's World Half Marathon in, mm. um, over in Bethlehem, yeah. Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. they asked us if obviously not to run because, you know, at that point, like I said, 10 minutes on the elliptical was going hard. Um, uh-huh. So... We drove a support vehicle and basically gave them oranges, played loud music, uh, acted mm-hmm. ridiculous, you know, the whole in the middle of the night on back stretches of uh, rural roads in New Jersey. And in that process of watching them run, I don't know, I at one point got out of the car and started to run along with them and was just like, this is amazing. And then we got to the Runner's World uh, half marathon and stood there for a very long time to cheer because. They were very slow at that point because they were tired. Um, and I saw all these other people, this group of runners called Sub30. And I just was like, wow, look at them cheering everybody on. Like, this is such a, a an accommodating and beautiful group of people. And I suddenly decided I wanted to be like them and I wanted to be part of them. But I knew that meant I had to start running. So Uh, I lurked around a little bit and then I started couch to 5k in uh, late October of 2015.
1: Mm, I love that story. Um, Do do you ever, since you were not a runner when David was sick, um, do you ever wonder how it might've helped you cope with the stress as he was going through his
4: treatments? I think about that all the time. And I I think the greatest message at this point in my life that I like to share with bereaved families is, or actually, well, families who are going, you know, dealing with cancer um, or facing a loss and actually facing really anything that's challenging. One of the things that I have found is that moving your body is just mentally so uplifting. um, And it really makes you feel empowered in a way that when you're coping with a disease or being a caretaker, um, you just don't have a sense of yourself, you don't ever feel empowered, everything feels like it's controlled by the medical community or outside forces or things that are happening. And running really just helps to center you and give you a place of like, I'm in control of this hour or four that I'm running. And I am managing this time for me. And I think it would have helped me tremendously if I had done, especially running, I think running, especially I've picked up a few other sports along the way here. Um, But I think there's something special about running, for sure. Nice. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, your son's requests, I know from uh, reading um, Facebook posts that you've done and and, um, some uh, media coverage of you, that your son's request guides so much of what you're doing today from fundraising to writing a book. And uh, you told us that David's phrase was embrace life. So do you ever feel like David is pushing you out the door to go running?
4: Oh, I see him all the time. I think when I finally was able to let go of being angry that he was gone, it gave me this opportunity to see him in places that I never thought. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. if I'm running, um, I'm lucky to have some nice paths and trails. I'll see a bunny or I'll see a fox. uh, I'll see a cardinal, a blue heron. And I just think like, hi, David, you know, and I oftentimes find myself doing like, hi, David, as I'm going along when something pops out at us um, as we're running. And even, you know, when when I was on my bike last summer up in Maine with my father, this bird almost like came right into our, our bike helmets. Like we were stopped because we were <laughs> lost, which is fairly typical. And, um, you know, this, this bird just almost like Dive bombed us, and we both looked up at the same time. We're like, "Hi, David!" So it was—it's those moments of being outside um, where you can really feel him and see him. So relatable. Um, so talk to us a little bit about
1: uh, your your tenacity, um, especially as it relates to exercise and working through your emotions. You know, you talked about how you're amazed at how you you know, learned to become persistent and and tenacious um, and to live how David asked you to live?
4: Yes, I think, um, you know, sometimes maybe I think I take things too far. Uh, (laughs) You know, (laughs) some people are happy like a 5k and like, let's be done. Um, For some reason, there's something appealing to me about the longer distance um, that allows you to, and I was just thinking about this actually today. So it's interesting you're asking me today, but The And I'm training for my first marathon, which will be in 10 days. But in that process of training and getting up into that bigger distance, you spend a lot of time alone and you're in your head a lot and you're looking around at things a lot. And it gives you a place. Running for me has given me a place to take out painful memories, um, sad things, a lot of the grief pieces that are hard to look at. When you're sitting down or even when you're talking to a trained professional you know all those things that you do to take care of yourself but going out and just hitting the pavement and having time alone with yourself where if you need to cry and run you cry and run if you want to laugh and run you laugh and run um and maybe people look at me like i'm crazy i have no idea but in my own space and in my own way running has allowed me to to really examine closely what hurts and look at it, examine it, and then kind of put it back away in a more um, comfortable way. So it fits with who I am. And I think that's kind of a gift that you get when you're out there for a long time by yourself, whether it's, you know, triathlon training is long too. um, And again, a lot of time spent by yourself, but I really think running has allowed me to look at some things and re examine them and get comfortable with, the pieces of my life and who I am that I did not expect. That's,
0: that's really great. Um, I've neglected to ask what marathon are you training for?
4: So the Maine coastal marathon, uh, oh, and that's okay. a pretty special one. I mean, it's a small marathon, but it starts uh-huh. in Kennebunkport. Um, and we spend a week every summer with my family in Maine uh, in the Kennebunkport area. So the roads we'll be running on are roads that David has driven on, um, that we've biked on. So
0: it's going to be, it's, that's why I picked it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. So recently on Facebook, you posted a meme that read, strength doesn't come from doing what you can. Strength comes from overcoming the things you thought you couldn't. And I suspect that that message has many meanings to you. So talk to us about how it applies to your family life, as well as your training for your marathon.
4: So I think um, if you saw me, you'd be like, there's no way she's running a marathon. Um, I'm not a typical runner body. I'm not a typical athlete. It's taken me a long time to get comfortable thinking about myself as as an athlete because I think I truly have to identify as that. Um, but I was yeah, always kind are. of overweight and never athletic really growing up. So I've lost 100 pounds along the way of, of mm. kind of getting ready for all of this, um, which mm-hmm. is great. But I think it's, it's about – You know, you can believe that you can't do things and you can convince yourself that you can't do things. And, you know, when I started running the Couch to 5K program, if you said in two years you're going to be doing a marathon, I would have said you're crazy um, Mm -hmm. because you don't believe it. But slowly by doing the things that are hard, by getting out there every day, consistency every day, whether, you know, not running. I only run four days a week, but um, (laughs) if you run, you know, the other things you do. So doing all of that on a regular basis and under um, like a plan that moves you forward to something. If you chip away at it a hundred days ago, I was still in the disbelief of like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to run my first marathon. And now here we are 10 days away. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Like I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. it's about believing in yourself and then proving it to yourself. And I feel like every time I go out and run, I prove to myself that I'm worthy I'm worth the investment of time in myself to take care of myself, Um, Mm -hmm. that I'm worth taking that break away from, you know, the regular life stuff. Um, And I like the identity that I've created. And I think for Daisy, it's been really good to see her mom get off the couch to get moving. Mm -hmm. Um, She laughs now because she's like, "Okay, well, before I wake up, you'll probably be back. Or is this a really long (laughs) run? Um, <laughs> so, so it's fun kind of how we have, and she actually did a, um, a running group with me last spring. She decided she wanted to be able to run a 5k. So we did a class, nice. like a, a running, um, group running thing together. And that was really fun to get out and do that. And she would be grumpy. I mean, she's a teenager, so she was grumpy. as mm-hmm. would start, But then like, once we got done, she was like, that was great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and even my husband, my reluctant husband who's played basketball his whole life, ran um, the New York City Half Marathon last March. Oh. We did that together. So he's not one for, um, he doesn't understand the racing part. Um, I love and thrive on the people and the excitement of a race, but he's just like, yeah, I like to run, but I don't think I like all that anxiety of, you know, being somewhere on time. That's not really his thing, um, <laughs> you know, and, and doing it on somebody else's, you know, timeframe. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, so you sound to me
1: like you're you're pretty um, pretty much in the right headspace going into this marathon, um,
4: and feeling pretty good about it. Is that, is, would you say that's the case? I would, I feel like, to be honest with you, I think the training to get ready for a marathon is where all the hard work is now. having not run one, I could be totally speaking out of turn, but,
0: um, <laughs> we'll ask you again at mile 22. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, go Check ahead. back <laughs> at mile 22.
4: Um, but I do, I feel like, you know, you go through so much in trying to get ready. And I remember my first attempt at 18 miles, um, my feet felt like they were on fire. And I said to my running partner, I'm like, I can't, I, I literally cannot keep moving. Like my feet are on fire. And there was this whole concern about, is it that plantar fasciitis, you know, what's happening. And I don't really know what happened. I think it might've been maybe too much running for, you know, too many weeks in a row. I have no idea, but. I got past that. And like, it's that getting past those hurdles, getting up to the 20 miles, um, you know, kind of moving yourself through all that. So like mentally now I feel like, yeah, bring it on. I am ready. And I am ready to really enjoy the experience of getting to do it. Um, because I am saying to people that I'm going to do this one time. I don't think I'm going to do this again. Mm. Um, but I want to enjoy the experience and I feel like I've done everything I can to prepare um, to get myself ready. Well, that's excellent. That's Good luck to you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely, definitely let us know how it goes. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for joining us, Susan, on this very special day. Thank you so much for having me. Our final guest is Gina Ebeling, a Bellingham, Washington mom of a seven year old daughter. Gina is a running coach and one of our 33 BAM ambassadors. In January of 2017, Gina's husband died suddenly. Thank you so much for joining us, Gina.
1: Hi, Sarah. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Um, I'm going to start by easing you in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your running history?
5: Sure. So I have just been running for five years. Um, I'm a very new runner. And um, I actually started running because of my husband. We were living in Connecticut at the time, so we were on the East Coast. And uh, the day of the Boston Marathon bombings, um, he came home from work. He had not—he was like not a runner. He was like an athlete in high school, but not super active at the time. And he came home and declared that he was going to qualify for Boston. Um, So I didn't really (laughs) know what that meant, but (laughs) I knew that it was a marathon, and I'd obviously had been watching the news, and it was quite. A uh, pretty awful tragedy so I never doubted him um, because he um was uh, he had a lot of big goals and dreams and so I just kind of said sure why don't you like maybe start running around <laughs> the block or something and uh so he did um and then uh Yeah. So I started running a month after him. Um, At the time, my daughter was like two and a half years old. So I was um, needing some me Mm -hmm. time. And so I kind of just wanted to literally like run away (laughs) sometimes. So I put on my running shoes. (laughs) And I realized that I could actually run. Um, I didn't grow up an athlete. Um, In fact, my, my mother used to just tell me like, we weren't made to be runners in our family, because we just got like red in the face. (laughs) So I was like, Oh, okay. So um, but I always kind of secretly wanted to do it. So I just started running. And I ran my first 5k six weeks after that, in like the disgusting, humid East Coast weather. And then my husband signed up for the Philly Marathon that fall. And Somehow convinced me to sign up for the half, and that's really where it started. And have been running ever since.
0: Wow, wow, wow. So, um, uh, spoiler alert to let people know you're not only qualified, then he ran Boston 2016, um, which is he did. amazing. Um, I think we need to take a little sidebar and you tell us how he did that because that's oh worth gosh. bragging about.
5: <laughs> <clears throat> he was like superhuman. I don't know, like he just i mean his he became this amazing marathon runner he also became a pacer with beast pacing oh. and help other people qualify for boston as well um he was just so focused and i believe it just it just opened him up oh. i mean to this running community to coaching to um. yeah, it just, um, you know, he was so devoted to his work and his family and he didn't have like a lot apart from that. And it, that's what I mean by it just opened him up and mm-hmm. it really had the same effect on me. So yeah, in May of 2015 at the Providence Marathon, he qualified with like a three hour, 10 minute marathon. Oh my gosh. And his first marathon in Philly was like five hours That's crazy. and it was horrific. And I mean, not to mention my half was pretty painful, but because we didn't know what we were doing, um, he just was so persistent, you know, and, uh, he loved it. He just loved it. And so to see him run, uh, to be there and see him run Boston is, um, like one of my top memories and such a special time for our family. Cause he also ran for the Martin Richard foundation. Um, and Martin oh. Richard was the young boy who was killed in the Boston marathon bombing. So we kind of became an MRA family. He ran for them in New York as well. And, uh, it just brought us so much community and so much love. It was really amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So, um, I I suspect you feel a special connection to your husband, Jason, when you're running. So, um, and, and especially during that one race last year, which you ran in his place. Um, could you share that story with us, please? Sure. Um, so he passed away suddenly,
5: um, last uh, year ago, January from a cardiac arrhythmia. Um, so he passed away in his sleep and, um, I, had promised him in December, um, right before Christmas that I would run the Mother's Day half marathon in Western Mass. Um, he had paced that race, um, for a few years and he loved it. And I would always kind of give him a lot of flack because it was on Mother's Day and I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, go run your race, (laughs) you know, like what do I get? And so he just kept he was like you know i think you would really love this race and so i had committed to him that i was going to run that i had signed up for my um you know train like mother club you know half marathon plan mm-hmm. and i was set to go and then like my world turned upside down in january and i just didn't really i was you know i was just kind of frozen like at a standstill and i just felt this urge that I just had to run. And so I started training just a few weeks after he passed away um, in the Mm -hmm. Connecticut winter. and thank god for my running partner Jody who was just amazing and I, it was just therapy for me it was honestly it was just therapy to get out and run and be active and so um i ended up doing that mother's day race uh, my mother in law she walked the half marathon for him and then mm-hmm. a lot of his cousins also ran the race and i and a good friend of mine ran with me who is a who also was close with my husband and um yeah I had a PR and I just had the best race of my life like it was just I wasn't hurting and I just kept running and it was just felt so good
1: Uh wow so after your husband died, you suddenly became, um, a single parent and of a child who was too young to stay home Yeah. Oh, so this is my life now as a solo parent. You have to get really
5: creative with your time. Um, so I was, um, I wasn't working at the time. I was a stay at home mom. And so, um, last winter, I really just, or a year ago winter, I when I was training for that half, I just, I was running when she was in school. Um, and honestly I needed that because I just, I needed to get out of the house and I needed, I just needed to be outside. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just, I always did my workouts when she was in school and I still do. Um, so also while I was training for that half, I was selling a house and selling pretty much everything we owned and planning a trip to move across country to Bellingham because I knew I needed to be in Bellingham with some good friends and um, I made a lot of big life decisions then and I, I can't tell you how I did it all. I just believe my husband was just pushing me through it mm-hmm. um, but all of that was happening during that time. And, um, I know it's, I can't really wrap my head around it still, you know, when I
0: think about it, but, um, yeah. So, so you mentioned Bellingham, uh, which is such a beautiful, uh, town up there near the, up toward the Canadian border in Washington. And, um, so given what I know about Bellingham and the fact that you're a running coach, I suspect you feel a a great deal of support from the local running community there. Is that the case?
5: I do. I do. And I am um, just kind of I'm getting my coaching business started. Mm -hmm. And I just the whole community in general, I have to say like this. I left a really amazing supportive community in Connecticut, a small town that just like wrapped their arms around us and loved us so much, um, especially during um, this time. And then moving here, like the people are just so open and they're just like accepting and friendly that, and I'm also in a place where I'm just so open and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and um, wanting that community. And so it, they're incredible here and it, oh my gosh, there are so many trails mm-hmm. and it's so gorgeous. And so the whole time, like I was getting ready to move, I just kept picturing myself here. Mm-hmm. I was just like the mountains, the trees, the water. Mm-hmm. I just kept <laughs> saying that mountains, trees, water. <laughs> and yeah, this community is incredible.
1: That's great. And speaking and of your community, um, you've got some photos from last May um, with people wearing medals and, and Team Ebeling t-shirts. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what that event was.
5: Yeah, so that was the half and that was my mother-in-law and a lot of friends and my father-in-law came out to watch it and my husband's stepmom and my dad was there and um, and then my husband's cousins who also ran the race um, and my daughter with her Team Ebeling shirt on. And then over here on this coast, um, outside of Seattle, my best friend from college, Andy, who lives here in Bellingham, she also did a half that same day oh, on Mother's wow. Day with the Team Ebling shirt. So it was pretty special. We've kind of like the hashtag Team Ebling has kind of become our our thing. So it was, it was pretty, it was great. It was just a really wonderful experience. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. So you have a a blog called raw motherhood and you, you Mm -hmm. stress the importance of self care, which uh, for you takes the form of running, hiking, bar and journaling. So tell us more about the, um, those pursuits and how they help you with healing.
5: Oh my gosh, it's been what my whole life has been about for really the last almost 16 months. And I've just done like so much work on myself, just getting to know who I am again. Um, and I've actually was just writing about this this week of just like, I mean, I'm not a wife anymore and I don't have a husband anymore and my family looks really different. And like all these identities that I, I had are like stripped away and I'm starting a coaching business after, after not, you know, being in the workforce for, you know, seven years raising my daughter. And so I don't have like, Oh, I'm this career person, like all these identities. And so it just gets you to this raw place of like who you truly are and um, and it's not easy <laughs> to get to these places. It's uncomfortable, and it's hard, and it's and loss and grief is is sad and a lonely place to be. Um, but it's just um, through this work, I just feel that it's it's just opened me up so much more to community, and so I think just you know just take the loss out of it. And motherhood is a challenging time. Um And no matter what stage you're in, I'm sure so far, we're up to seven years old. And there's been many twists and turns Um that we, I completely forgot how to take care of myself by the time my daughter was two. I mean, I was sleep deprived and just like a robot, right? Just kind of going about taking care of her and all my emotions and all my energies going into her. And so that's when I started, you know, slowly realizing that self-care is like really important and self-care is like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, go get yourself a pedicure and go, whatever, do those things. But it's so much more than that. And it's that, it's that soul work. It's really getting in touch with who you are. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and on your blog, you use the term raw, rawity. <laughs> um, what does that word mean to you?
5: I, I think it it really, um, I think it's vulnerability. Um, I think it's transparency. Um, I think as mothers, um, and, and women in general, we like to just, well, we don't like to, but we end up just being like, Oh, we're fine. Things are good. Mm-hmm. And we kind of keep it at that level. And with, with some relationships, you know, and in some circles, you know, that's fine and safe, but I just, I, I'm really <laughs> brutally honest, especially like in my Instagram and, um, and our Facebook and our Raw Motherhood Facebook community, and even just on Facebook, because I want people to have a face of what grief looks like mm-hmm. and what loss looks like and what motherhood looks like. And um, not that it's all so dark and dismal, but that it has so many different faces. Like, I think that just allows people the space to be who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Um, so I I did notice um, it looks like uh, Jason had a, a really wide Boston Strong headband that then, um, mm-hmm. is that the same one then that uh, you and your daughter, I saw some pictures, uh, like she wears it playing soccer. Is that the same one? Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. My, yes. And I love that. Mm-hmm. My daughter just has this connection to Jason and so do I, but her connection to her daddy is like, it is so it's so special. Mm. And, um, she, she has all of his marathon medals mm. in her room. I, I have his Boston and New York hanging in my room, but, uh, <laughs> I claim those, but, <laughs> um, and she, sure. yeah, she wears that playing soccer. She wears it running. Um, I wear, them, you know, from time to time
0: and, um, it's just, yeah, it's special, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and uh, do you have any races upcoming?
5: I do. Uh I am joining the Bammer ambassadors for my very first Ragnar. Oh, right. Of course. Of course you have a race coming
0: up. You have the same race coming up that I do.
5: (laughs) I know. So I'm so excited. I've started training and um, I am just excited for all these women to get to Washington and it's just, oh, it's going to be gorgeous. And it's my first Ragnar. And I, I have to say like, it's, uh, some friends in Connecticut had tried to talk me into a Ragnar, Mm -hmm. um, like two years ago or like a year, a year and a half ago. And it was, uh, the fall of 2016. They were trying to talk me into it. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to Jason about it. And I was like, Jason, like, I really like my sleep and I really like to eat so I don't know I don't know about this and he was like you can do this come on and so like once I saw that it was I mean it literally starts like 25 yeah. minutes
0: away from where I live
5: so I was like count me in yeah so yeah, yeah that's what I'm ex- I'm excited
0: for it yeah awesome I just hear it's also this is the we're talking about uh, Ragnar Northwest Passage and I just hear it is stunningly beautiful
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it has to be like, it just has to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so great talking with you, Gina. I look forward to hanging out with you in July during that Ragnar and um, thanks for sharing your story with us.
5: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: So those women were pretty amazing and um, I am just bowled over by their strength and tenacity and I feel, you know, like a weekly comparative no, <laughs> I mean no, no, just, no. you know, they're incredible.
0: Yeah, and the the insight and the um self examination I feel was was yes. really um yes. that, that message really came through to me. So um so, I, I
1: totally agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm really grateful to them for each sharing their stories. So um i hope they were helpful for people to listen to and maybe it's a podcast that somebody will come back and listen to because they feel you know hopefully it doesn't apply to them right now but it'll always be there so um yeah. So this weekend, Dimity and you, Coach Amanda, uh, will be at Flying Pig in Cincinnati and I'll be in okay. Eau Claire. Yeah. And I'll be in Eau Claire, Wisconsin at the Marathon Expo there and scouting hotels and restaurants for our retreat there in Eau Claire, May 2nd through May 5th of 2019. So mark oh, that, God. mark that on your calendar I, um, would suspect we'll be opening up registration, um, I would think probably in June. I'll put that as my goal. Um, because I'm the person who does that, so <laughs> <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. <laughs> um so um and then the day before Mother's Day I'll be at the hippie chick half and quarter marathon just outside of Portland. Um I hope to see folks at um those races. And I know Coach Amanda, you're looking forward to seeing people in Cincy.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so, and then speaking of Mother's Day, um, be sure to snag a limited edition Bammer box, either for yourself or a beloved mother runner in your life. It is jam packed with gooder polarized sunglasses, custom bib borb bib board bib holders which is incredibly hard to say but they're these cute little things that hold your bib on without um magnets and without pins um Balega socks a tube of noon immunity tablets which are um new product uh spenko insoles and more it is 70 dollars worth of merch for just 40 dollars order at therunnerbox.com and click on limited edition boxes to find it there. Again, that's therunnerbox.com. Click on limited edition boxes to find it. This podcast was recorded in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward of Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles.